On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. We're joined in the studio by the co-leader of the Social Democrats, Catherine Murphy. Catherine, uh, you managed to hold your, your first uh, in-person uh, party conference uh, in a while yesterday. In fact, was it your first one ever or just your first no, one? No, no, it, it was the first one twin, yeah. since 2019. But we did have an online one uh, last year. Yes. And it, yeah, it was very successful. We were very happy with it, but it's not the same as meeting in, in person. And, mm. uh, and and yesterday showed that. Uh, in your, your joint leader speech with uh, Roshi Jorto, you called for an immediate 10 euro increase in core social welfare rates like pensions um, do you think 10 euro is actually adequate or do you think it's just the, the ceiling um, of what can be afforded well essentially we talked about this as an emergency budget um, that needs to happen now like if everything is postponed until the autumn well then uh, essentially it doesn't happen until next year mm. so we're you see you you got to remember things like for example pensions uh, only increased uh, once since 2019 and that was by 5 euros where there was already an increase in inflation. Um, that was never going to be adequate. So that's why we're talking about this in the context of an, emer- an emergency budget that would happen now. So you're talking about a 10 euro increase, ideally tomorrow morning. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and if it wasn't, then uh, if there isn't to be an emergency budget and we know the government is putting its face against that, then what does the increase need to be in the budget itself? Um, well, certainly it would it, w- it would need to go beyond the 10 euros and I think we'd have to look at where inflation is when it comes to November. Um, the expectation is that inflation, if it's going to come down, will come down at the far end of next year. Um, the expectation last year was that inflation would uh, would start to subside mm. at, at, the, at the second half of this year. So people are really now starting to get uh, worried about, um, not so much in the summer months, but certainly when it goes into the autumn, and the winter worried about how they're going to heat their homes and juggle that with feeding their families. Mm. So do you think then that there's a case to be made that the government should just abandon its current stance of trying to prepare everything for a budget in October and that they need to do a full suite of measures and they need to do it Well, now? there certainly needs to be some emergency measures now that are very targeted um, because they have to happen this year mm. um, and it, there has to be time for them to happen this do you, year. Do you think it's possible though to, to have an emergency budget? Like we're only talking in the first hour uh, about all the, the, the naval gazing the raising government about what they want to do for October and that's four months away but they're already having a row over how much they can afford to increase uh, social welfare rates by while also trying to cut taxes to a modest amount to put money into people's pockets and to make sure that they meet all of their climate ambitions and to make sure that they increase public spending to deal with the extra pressures that there are it's going to take four months to have all those decisions so you can argue that it just isn't possible to try and turn around a budget on the spot Yeah but you're not talking about a full budget you're talking a very you're talking about an emergency budget that is targeted it. And like we would be saying that there need there needs to be, uh, you know, money put back into people's pockets quickly. And we're talking about a refundable tax credit, for example, uh, for people on incomes up to fifty thousand. We're talking about core social rates being increased, and we're talking about a hardship fund. Like I mean, we're at the at the cold face in terms of meeting people that require that hardship fund, uh, that are worried about, for example, the cost of getting their kids back to school. Like for for a child going to primary school the the actual the 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 average amount that that takes is 1200 euros over the year mm. like it is astronomical it's not free education no and and you're but what, looking why does at people it require with those a hardship challenges. fund when there's already a discretionary welfare system that they yeah. can go to a local organizer and ask for an extra handout yeah. if there's a bill they can't meet it, it, it isn't enough and in fact it, it there isn't enough in that fund and uh, we're seeing people who would never present for um you know for support with the exceptional needs payments uh, uh, system we're seeing people that would never uh, 
think of doing that now presenting where they really have uh, they really have difficulties look there was no expectation uh, last autumn that there was going to be war in Ukraine that you know energy uh, the energy situation was going to get phenomenally worse Um, and you have to adjust for situations the other thing is that the government are taking in very large amounts of money, additional to what they would be taking because of because of inflation, you know, rises in uh, goods and services and certainly rises in energy. Mm. Um, and where they may uh, not be able to do specific things around that, they certainly can do things in relation to excise duties. Um, and there's, you know, so... so you know, in the autumn budget, we would be looking for them to extend uh, the, some of the provisions into next year that were already in place. Yeah. And in, in fact, some of the things that were good that I, I certainly would acknowledge were good, what they did with uh, with uh, public transport fares. And I think that that could be expanded on and gone further and in, in fact, encourage people to use public transport public transport yeah. to a greater degree. Uh, you're also calling for a three-year ban on rent increases. Um, firstly, are you satisfied that that's actually legally possible? Because we've heard from, from countless governments that it would be unconstitutional to have a rent freeze for that long. Yeah, well, it, it was quite interesting that we were able to do a whole lot of things during the pandemic that, uh, you know, mm. uh, because well, we it was defined... Of, we had a ban on evictions we, for health reasons, though, not but, necessarily for... Uh, but it was an emergency. It was a reason there was an emergency. It's not an emergency that there's 10,000 people homeless. Like, I mean, how do you define emergency? Um, and I think if there is a question mark about the legality of it, go to the courts. You know, challenge it in the courts. Because uh, I... I I really think that we we have not stretched that to the extent that it could be stretched. And if we need if we need a constitutional referendum to get over all of these things, it won't be immediate. Mm. But we need to have it. But it, like, can you really be doing the whole ask for forgiveness, not permission, uh, when it comes to constitutional matters? Like, you can't. Like, would it not be hugely reckless to to legislate for something and then have someone else go to a court and strike it down and look, suddenly un, undo something as dramatic as a rent freeze? Look, we're in a, We're in a position where there is an emergency, um, and that emergency is, you know, it is about. Uh, people being, you know, getting eviction notice. It is about children in homelessness, growing up, losing their childhoods. Really, essentially, mm. it, it's more than a bricks and mortar issue. And I, I just think that we really got to understand the crisis that we're in and the crisis that we've been in. Now, there are other things, for example, in terms of, uh, you know, the rental sector. And in fact, the state has not played its role in terms of the building program. And there's been an over reliance on the private rented sector. Um, but essentially, that private that private rented sector and so is not equal right across the board. Mm. The, there is an unfair advantage, for example, to REITs and uh, vulture funds in terms of the favourable tax treatment. And really, um, uh, there needs to be a recalibration there. And we wouldn't be opposed, for example, to changes uh, to the tax codes in relation to uh, smaller landlords. Uh, you know, but it would have to have a quid pro quo and be linked mm. with, uh, linked with um, you, know, you know, more affordable rents. Yeah, um, well, that's the other question I was going to ask you because first I was going to say do you think a three year ban um, on, on increases would be legally permissible and maybe you could argue that it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission from the courts and to give it a try anyway um, but what would it do to bring rents down because this, this is something I regularly uh, have to ask opposition parties about it's one thing to stop rents going any higher or housing to become any more expensive but all you would do surely is lock it in at a high rate which is already unaffordable yep. for most so how do you bring rent down? Yeah I mean there, you, there's a very valid point there because I mean when some of us have been asked for some of these measures to be taken it was a few years ago and in fact they've, they've done nothing 
other than going up the 11% increase in rents in the last year. And in fact, Dublin is the most expensive capital city for accommodation in the whole of the EU. Uh, so there's no doubt it's at a too high a rate. Um, you will find that there would be people who are renting at uh, less than what would be described as the market rents now, mm. um, who have been in rented accommodation for some time. But for those new rents, that is really problematic. Look, when you're in a bad situation, you certainly don't make it any worse. And that's essentially mm. why we're calling but, for but that. How, but how do you bring it down? Yeah, I mean, essentially you bring it down by scaling up the uh, provision of housing. Um, but does, does more, so having more housing necessarily bring down the cost? When we already know that there, there's arrears that yeah, even if you introduced enough housing for 10,000 more people it's, overnight. It's it's the type of housing, for example, um, uh, for example, local authority, uh, local authorities and approved housing bodies. We really have to, it really has to be scaled up and they can't be counting what is providing. Like I just read an article this morning that Dublin City Council are going to spend 125 million and buying turnkey properties. Mm. So they're, they're properties that are, that are say, already built that sure. then yeah. won't, be, won't be sold. Um, and uh, essentially, th- then we will be told, uh, you know, that, that government have uh, produced uh, whatever number of houses that are actual built in the, you know, in, mm. the, 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 in the local authority sure, system. But, but, which is, you know... Yeah, but the massaging statistics is one thing, but I'm still not clear exactly how you bring down the cost because we've seen before when you in massively increased the supply of housing in this country when we did it in the late noughties it didn't bring the cost of rent no. down if anything it sent it upwards and a lot of the government's policy is premised on the idea that if you have more supply that you, you equalise supply and demand and it takes the heat out of prices I'm not convinced that it does and I don't see any evidence that rent is ever going to become any cheaper than it currently is Yeah I think you have to have genuine large scale affordable housing um, you, you know the like of the O'Coolon uh, model for example and it has to be scaled up in terms of building at more affordable price. At the heart of this whole housing crisis is affordability. It's rents and it's the option to buy. And for example, 82% of every everything that was built in Dublin City or in Dublin last year mm. uh, was uh, built to rent. And it's built to rent at unaffordable prices. That is one of the ways you won't bring the, uh, the price down and you don't even give people options. Um, and, and, and nobody's saying that this is not complex. Um, but you have to have a you have to have a throughput of uh, options and one of those throughput one of the, the throughput of, of options there yeah. is genuinely affordable accommodation to rent and buy. Um, I remember uh, attending the very launch uh, of your party back in the day. It was in, in Woodkey venue. It was yourself and Roisin Jortal and obviously Stephen Dudley, who is quite notably no longer in your fold. But I remember the key message being sold at the time was that you needed to do something to address the cost of living and that social democracy was the way to bring down the cost of living, which is obviously now a very saleable message given everything that's going on right now. Um, so that should be fairly core to your political identity. And yet there's a poll today in the Sunday Times uh, commissioned by Behaviour and Attitudes, which finds that your party now has dropped two percentage points and now, technically speaking in one poll, stands at zero percent support. Why is that at a time when your message should be at its most popular, well, that your party well, is at its least popular? Well, first of all, um, the... the uh, I wouldn't rely on the behaviour and attitudes poll. Um, uh, there's a particular methodology there that favours Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. But, uh, and yeah. you're, you're not exactly you know, raising the roof in, well, in other five, series of polls five, either. Five, it was 5% last week in another poll. So look, we wouldn't contest elections if we were to go by that poll. But look, that's 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 just, that's that's another matter. Look, we're, we we need to be, we need to be, um, uh, contest elections in as many constituencies as possible. That's where our focus of attention is going to be. Um, unless you have 
have that offering for people, they won't favour you in the polls if you if there isn't somebody contesting. So you have to be kind of present right across the country, mm. and that is uh, that is something where we are, uh, you know, that that okay. we are we're going to be working well, on solidly now that we're in a position to actually get out and do things. Uh, but even if you you set aside this particular poll and you look at other ones and you point to one that has you at five percent, which might be something of a high watermark too for your party in in relatively recent polls, uh, do you think that there is something of a ceiling, or why is it that your party isn't breaking through? A little bit more because one would think that at a time when people are so fed up with the establishment as it is and there's clearly an appetite for change I respect that it's a crowded market but that maybe aren't making the gains that a party with your branding and with your philosophy ought to be doing. Yeah, like, I mean, the thing about it is that um, I think that uh, I've been involved in active politics um, all of my adult life and I've never had uh, I've never had anything to compare with the last two years. We have not been able to uh, really pick up from our our success in the general election where some of those polls would have us not even contesting, never mind mind winning six seats, um, which was a phenomenal achievement and we want to build on that. We now, after a very successful conference, intend to uh, get back out, start doing regional, uh, you know, regional conferences, um, start start getting back out, doing the things that being, uh, you know, being an activist in politics allows you to do. Um, and uh, essentially that that is how we believe that we'll grow the party. And that is what you're going to see from us over the next few okay. years. Uh, finally, there's a, a piece today in the uh, Sunday Independent about uh, your party and where it is kind of at this this seven year point in its lifetime. And there's testimony of some members who felt like they were maybe squeezed out, that the party didn't afford enough flexibility to younger people to, to carry the torch. Um, but it's under the headline um, how many social democrats does it take to lead a party and, and there's some who I believe that the splitting of resources between yourself and Roisin Shortall um, is an asset when you're in growth mode but at some point it becomes actually a little bit more of a barrier because people don't really know who is in charge Look, um, it, it, that, that is not an issue that comes up, uh, you know, it, it, in the main, it doesn't come up. And in fact, it doesn't even come up in the party, you know, really. It might be a very small number, a handful of people mm. and some people who have left. Look, it didn't, it didn't come up when, it, when there was a little bit of a groundswell against yourself and Roisin last year? Uh, and I know something which, which lost ground pretty quickly, but there it, was a little bit it, of it. It lost ground before it got started, to be perfectly honest with you. And there's, look, to be perfectly honest with you, the vast majority of people, um, even the people at the conference, you know, were very happy with, uh, with uh, you know, how things are at the moment and w- what we've got to do. Um, look, there's always going to be people that will ha- have a different view on how, how things should should uh, uh, should be run. We actually get on very well, and in fact, there's a, a counterbalance be, between how we uh, how we think, and in, in fact, uh, that can be an asset. And in fact, our parliamentary party is really working uh, very well and very cohesively. Uh, we've 19 uh, councillors around the country, and essentially, we're we're very determined that we're going to uh, that we're going to get back out, okay. get, get active. And, you know, uh, do the kind of things that we want to do and sell the message that, you know, social democracy is not a fashion item. It is a different way of thinking. It's a different way of running the country. It's a different way of delivering uh, public services. And that that actually is to the benefit in, in terms of people so living dignified lives. If you're still in growth mode and you'll write off today as being something of an aberration or, or that it shouldn't be given much stock, would you set a target for how many seats you'd like to win in the next general election? Yeah, well, is still too far away? The, the target, I mean, we if if we're to go the length of the uh, of this particular doll, yeah. our target would be somewhere around trebling our seats. Trebling your seats? Yes. Come back with 18 next yes. time around. And we think that's achievable. 
Catherine, Mar- uh, Catherine Murphy, the co-leader of the uh, apparently seem to be swelled Social Democrats. Uh, thank you very much for coming in to join us uh, this lunchtime in studio. You, On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at eleven. Brought to you by PwC, combining talent and technology. We're hardwired to find solutions. It all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.